So then let's start the Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambodhasa. This morning I have introduced the reflection on death. The reflection on death being part of the four protective meditations. <coughs> and we integrate these four protective meditations here in this retreat, in the practice of the Dhamma. So I have given you some explanations and guidelines for practicing this reflection. And tonight in this talk, I'm going to expand on this reflection and give you some more input for reflection. Nothing is as certain as our death. Death will come for sure and nobody can escape death. Therefore, we should be well prepared for this inevitable fact. And meditation, practice in its most general sense, can be understood as a preparation for death, a preparation to die well, peacefully and calmly. In German, the word for certain or sure, sicher, is, is combined with the word for death, Tod. So in German we have the word Tod sicher, death certain. Isn't it interesting that this word certain or sure is combined with the word for death? Because the word certain or sure already expresses the meaning that it is for sure, it is certain. So why then to combine it with the word for death? Well, I think really language just knows that death, that's really the only certain thing in life. And just recently, I have been told that actually also in English there is this expression like something is that that's certain. A dead certain. That's certain. Thank you. <coughs> so the Buddha had repeatedly encouraged his disciples to reflect on death, to reflect on our mortality. And so this reflection on death, Maranasati, 
This is also uh, part of the so-called five daily reflections. And there it goes as follows. I am of the nature to die. I have not gone beyond dying. It also includes like uh, aging or sickness. Like I'm of the nature to age. I have not gone beyond aging. So when we engage in this reflection on death, we should reflect that one day we will die to reflect that we are mortal. We should also recall that we do not know when we are going to die. We should recall that we do not really know how we are going to die. And we also don't know the cause for our death, whether it is um, through a sickness, an accident, or if we are murdered. So we don't know the actual cause. But actually, the cause for our death is the same for everybody. The primary cause for our death is birth. Because we are born, we are going to die. So not only the Buddha uh, had told this again and again, there was also an, a Roman philosopher, his name was Seneca, who had said the same thing. He had said, when you die, it will not be because you are sick, but because you were born. So if this reflection on death is done repeatedly, or if possible on a daily basis, then it's possible to make friends with death. Then death becomes an intimate friend. And we know, yes, we are going to die. Although most of the people say that they know that they are going to die, but this knowledge is not deeply anchored in their mind, in their heart. And this becomes obvious when these people are faced with their own approaching death, or if a beloved person uh, dies. Then they suffer from sorrow or from fear, suffer depression. And so this shows that they were not really prepared for this uh, event. During my many years of uh, practice, meditation practice, <coughs> practice of the Dhamma, I have <coughs> extensively reflected on death with the reflection on death, also with these five daily reflections. And at one time, I have done a three-week retreat during which I have only practiced this reflection on death. 
because this reflection on death is also one of the 40 subjects for Samatha meditation. So then one would constantly focus on death, the reflection on death. As I've explained this morning, taking a phrase like, I'm going to die for sure, or life is uncertain, death is certain. So one would have a phrase like this and then constantly reflect on it from the time one wakes up in the morning until one falls asleep in the evening. And so, of course, during an intensive retreat, one can uh, change the phrase one takes, so to kind of deeply reflect on different aspects. I'm going to die, but I don't know when. I'm going to die, I don't know how, and so on. So I have done this three-week Marana Sati retreat up at Wat Buddha Dhamma. Maybe you know the place near Weisman's Ferry. Beautiful place in the forest, in the bush. So as I've said, for many, many years I've done this reflection. And it was 12 years ago that I was confronted with a potentially terminal illness. I was diagnosed with a melanoma that went deep into my skin. And the prognosis of survival was very bleak. But at that time, I was very relieved to find that they had made friends with death. Death had really become quite a close friend of mine. So it was no longer an enemy uh, that caused great fear to arise. So in a way it was a relief to see that this practice had worked to uh, a great extent. And then, six years later, I was again diagnosed with something not so nice, namely a metastasis of this melanoma. And again, when I got that diagnosis, it was not something (coughs) that, it was not devastating news. It was not something that pushed me into the abyss. I did not become depressed or I didn't fall into despair. And because the metastasis was in the sheen bone, just above the ankle, I decided to have surgery to remove the tumor. And in this case, this meant the amputation of my lower leg. At that time, the professor at the university hospital in Zurich, in Switzerland, he had actually suggested that I do an immunotherapy, saying that 
you know, instead of having a few more months to live, that would give me maybe two or three years. But then I did my own um, investigation and I also went to see two other doctors. And so finally, with the support of these two other doctors, I decided for the surgery, for the amputation. And some of you, or you may have noticed that um, at times I walk a little bit funny, especially when I have no shoes on my legs, on my prosthesis. And also with the prosthesis, unfortunately, I'm no longer able to do a very slow walking meditation because it's very difficult to keep the balance on my prosthetic leg. So as I said, when I got these two diagnoses, I was quite relieved to find that my mind responded with quite a big degree of equanimity. Well, it's, it's not perfect yet. <laughs> there is still work to do. But this level of equanimity that had resulted from quite a deep and profound understanding of my mortality. So the fact that we all have to die, the fact that I have to, have to die was no longer just an intellectual understanding, but it had really sunk deep into the heart and the mind. And I have to say that making friends with death is incredibly liberating because then the kind of underlying fear and worry around death is no longer present. The heart and the mind no longer need to worry how I'm going to die, if I'm going to die, when I'm going to die. It's so clear that I will die sooner or later. And so, as a result of this understanding, a heavy burden has fallen off my shoulders. And the absence of this burden brings lightness and joy into my life. Another result um, Another result to these threats to my life is a greater awareness of and a greater beauty is a greater awareness of and appreciation for the beauty and the preciousness of this life. There is also um, much gratitude for being alive. And on top of this, the, the feeling of spiritual urgency of some Vega 
this has become much, much stronger. This is much, much more at the, in the foreground. If people knew that they had only a short time to live, they would most likely turn more towards the meaningful things in life. Then they would much more easily abandon all the trivial and meaningless things in life. Quite many years ago, I was teaching a retreat here in the Blue Mountains, and one meditator who came to do this retreat, she said that for the duration of this, of that 10-day retreat, she wanted to shave her head. And she explained that just recently a friend of her had died of breast cancer. And so the death of her friend caused her to reflect on death, caused her to reflect on her own mortality. And so with that then she figured out what was really important and meaningful to her. And she made a list of what one of what she wanted to do before she was going to die. And one of these things was to shave her head. And so then she thought, well, that's a good opportunity to shave my head during these 10 days uh, in the retreat. So instead of postponing it to do later, later, she really um, did it. The awareness of death, the reflection on our own mortality and on the mortality of every living being, this reflection should not paralyze us. It should not make us feel sad. It should not lead to depression. It should also not cause morbid thoughts to arise. This would absolutely not be what the Buddha had in mind when he told his disciples to do this reflection on death. So besides a deep and profound understanding of our mortality and the mortality of every living being, this reflection can arouse many more wholesome and beneficial qualities. So here I want to mention some of the benefits that also result um, of this reflection on death. So one of these benefits is that we lead a good life. And for me, this is the central point. Can we say at any point in our life that we have lived, that we are living a good life? And when we can say that we have lived, that we are living a good life, can we say that we are also ready to go? 
ready to leave? Do we have the willingness to leave at any time and to leave without any regrets? And so if we live a good life, then we won't have regrets. So this would be an ideal case. This Buddhist scholar, David Morris, he could die without having regrets. And a letter that he had written just shortly before he died, um, it's obvious from this letter, and he sent this letter to his very good friend, Bhante Damananda. Pantidamananda was a monk from Sri Lanka, but most of his life he lived in Malaysia, in a temple in Kuala Lumpur. So Pantidamananda received <coughs> this letter from his friend David Morris, written just shortly before his death. He wrote, you will be happy to know I died today. There are two reasons for this. Firstly, you will be relieved to know that my suffering from the sickness has finally ended. And secondly, since I became a Buddhist, I have faithfully observed the five precepts. As a result, I know that my next life cannot be a miserable one. <laughs> so he could die without regrets. Another <clears throat> benefit from this reflection is that it brings joy and gratitude into one's life. Joy and gratitude in each day. So, for example, each morning when we wake up, we can be grateful that we have another day or we can be grateful that we have even woken up. This reflection also brings um, more mindfulness and presence, awareness into one's life. This awareness of one's own mortality brings really a stronger presence into one's life and with this also a greater willingness to be mindful, to be really present. Then another benefit from this reflection is equanimity and serenity to take things as they come. Equanimity to not take things so seriously, or the equanimity to know that the world will not collapse without me once I'm gone. <clears throat> Yet another benefit from this reflection is it helps us to cultivate wholesome states 
wholesome, beneficial qualities. This is based on the understanding of karma, intentional actions, knowing that they will produce results. And basically, generally saying, wholesome action produce wholesome results. <coughs> unwholesome actions produce unwholesome, painful uh, results. And along with this is also the understanding that we cannot take anything with us. So we cannot take any material things things with us when we die. We cannot take our friends, our family with us when we die. We have to leave everything behind. So as we have to leave behind all of this but based on the understanding of karma, we know that it, what we can take along is the wholesomeness, the wholesome karma that we have uh, produced, knowing that sometime or another, later on, that will produce wholesome effects. And with mortality, the fact that we could die at any time, um, being very present in our heart and mind, we know that we have to act now. We have to do what we want to do, what is wholesome now. That we should not postpone things tomorrow, for tomorrow. Because tomorrow it may already be too late. And another benefit of this reflection is that it arouses energy. <coughs> the energy to do what is wholesome, to do what is good, to do a good life, to live a good life. When I was small, I remember so well how my mother used to say, you know, from nothing comes nothing. <laughs> Meaning, you know, one has to put some energy into doing things. And so, yes, to cultivate what is wholesome, to lead a good life, this needs a certain amount of energy. And then the last benefit uh, that I want to mention that comes from this reflection on death is that it brings clarity into our heart and mind. So the clarity about our priorities in life so that we are clear what is really important for us to be clear what is really meaningful become very clear how do I want to live my life many people have a difficult relationship with death and this also shows 
in the words we use for death or for dying. And often people do not use the word death or dying, but then they use other words to describe. It is as if these words would make death worse, or that the dying would be worse, or that these words of death and dying would even provoke death to happen. Or as if these words could infect us with the death virus. But we don't need to worry. We all have this death virus (laughs) already in us. Hugo Lötscher is a Swiss writer and one of his books, one of his novels is called Wunderwelt, Wonder World. And in this uh, novel he lists many words for death and dying. And this novel, the story, takes place in Brazil. And this is why we might not be so familiar with some of the expressions for death and dying. So here are uh, some examples. To go to the better side. Or to take the wooden express. (laughs) To button the tailcoat. To pack the suitcase. To settle the bill. (laughs) To take leave forever. To to close the eyes forever. Or to pull the plug. Or the motor stands still or to no longer eat beans. (laughs) Beans probably being a staple food. So, you know, when we reflect on death, how will I die? Will I close the umbrella or will I tie my rope? Will I stay in the enclosure or will I go to Nibbana? Tulku Urgen Rinpoche was a famous and well-known master in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. He died some 20 years ago. And he tells us how easy it is to die. He said, It is said that the difference between being alive or dead is a single breath. If you exhale and you do not inhale, you are dead. That's all it takes. In the late Middle Age, death was often depicted with a cycle in his hand. This is why it is also called the Grim Reaper. And in these illustrations, we see how death, the Grim Reaper, goes around and calls people. And 
these illustrations have become known as the dance of death, or in French, la danse macabre. And apparently the first such illustration appeared on the, on the wall of a cemetery in Paris. It was in 1425. A few years ago, there was an exhibition called The Art of Life and the Dance of Death. And this exhibition was in the parish house of the township where I live in Switzerland. A friend of mine helped to organize this exhibition and later he told me, because he is quite involved in that parish, so he told me that one person who had belonged to that parish left the church saying that this topic was not fit for the Protestant church. <laughs> As if Protestant people do not die. <laughs> so back to these illustrations of the dance, dance of death. So death, as the Grim Reaper, takes away everyone. The queen and the beggar, the rich and the poor, the nun and the pope, the seamstress and the soldier, the old man and the young girl. It takes the manager and the designer, the prostitute and the politician, or the student and the writer. Death is not fussy. Death takes everyone away at any time and without asking. Or have you ever received a letter from death telling you that you should get ready the day after tomorrow because it will come and get you? Or a letter from death saying, you better get ready next Sunday at 1.45 p.m. I will come and get you. So many people are afraid of death. Many people are afraid of dying. Basically, every fear is based on this basic fear of death and dying. That's the primary fear. So the fear of death has two aspects. One aspect is the act of dying, and then the other act is uh, the other fear relates to the uncertainty and fear of what comes after death. So the first aspect, the act of dying, how will it be? You know, there is the fear of dying with pain, or there is the fear of dying with a confused mind, or the fear of dying in a coma, or, you know, the not knowing 
how will I, what will I feel when I die? Will I see frightening images? Will I hear scary sounds? And the second aspect is the fear and the uncertainty of what comes after death. And you know, this can be different uh, between uh, different religions. So you know, after death, is there heaven or is there hell, purgatory, or is it just nothing? Is it complete annihilation? Or is there rebirth? Or is there the last judgment? Or what else? So against the fear of dying, the actual act of dying, we can do something against this, like with preparing our mind, so then the need no be the need not be any fear. But it's a bit more difficult to deal with the uncertainty of not knowing what comes after death. Even if there are several scenarios mentioned, hell, heaven, purgatory, rebirth, annihilation, or whatever, we finally will know when it happens. (laughs) When we die. The Chinese master, Sheng Yin, he died about 10 years ago. He had a very pragmatic attitude towards death. In order to diminish our suffering, Master Sheng Yin gave the advice to think about birth and death as a transformation when something transforms into something else. So in his words, When water turns to ice, we should not regret that the water has disappeared. Maybe the ice will serve us better. So the reflection on death can be practiced in a formal way, as mentioned in the beginning and as mentioned this morning in the instructions. But this reflection on death can also be practiced in a spontaneous way, can also be practiced during our day-to-day life. For example, if we pass a cemetery, then we can take some moments to reflect that one day our body will also end there. One day we will die. So take that as a reminder. Or else, when we read the newspaper, if you still read um, a newspaper, then 
we can attentively read the obituaries <coughs> instead of just flipping over the page. So we can read them and see it's not only the old and sick people who die, but it's also young people, little children, people at the same age uh, as I am. They die unexpectedly or they die after a long and serious illness, whatever. So reading these obituaries in this way, we can reflect on death, reflect that we too are going to die one day, and maybe that our family, our friends put an obituary into the newspaper, then other people will read about it. Or in Switzerland at least, there is another way um, to be reminded uh, of death. It is when the church bells ring uh, before a funeral is taking place. Usually in a Protestant church or the Catholic church, when there is a funeral, then the church bells ring. They ring about 10 minutes. And, you know, funerals, uh, they take usually place in the middle of the morning or in the afternoon. So if the church bells ring in the morning at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock or afternoon, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, then one knows, ah, now a funeral is going to happen. And so then with this, one can reflect on the effect that beings, human beings, all beings, are mortal. Me too. I'm going to die. For sure. So as sure as the fact that we will die, it's also sure that we will be able to die. And even if you have if we have never practiced this act of dying, we never had had a rehearsal, but we will be able to do it, for sure. We will not fail. Even if a lot has gone wrong in our life, even if we have failed many times, but at that event we will not fail. We will be able to die. Bhante Sujiva is a Malaysian monk and in one of his books he has written how he would like to encounter death. I want to read this passage. Hello death, how are you? I have been waiting for you a long time. All my life I have been anticipating you. Are you coming for me at long last? Is it time for me to go already? Yes, Death, I'm coming. Be patient. I'm ready. Can't you see? I'm smiling. Yes, Death, I understand. You don't have to apologize. 
I know you've got to do a job. I hold no grudge, no hard feelings. It's nothing personal. I understand. Death, it's all right. I'll come with you gladly. I'm tired. This body is like a broken shell. It has seen better days and has outlived its usefulness and time. As you can see, I'm already almost dead. And I have endured all this pain, trying to smile at all these visitors calling on me. Death, to tell you the truth, you should have come earlier. After all the pain, you are a welcome respite. You are a godsend. But enough of this talk. Death, let's not dally. Let's go. Come, hold my hand. I want to close this talk with a verse, a chant that is often recited at funerals in Asian Buddhist countries. First I give you the English translation and afterwards I will chant this verse in Pali. Impermanent are all conditioned phenomena. They arise and disappear. Having arisen, they cease to be. Their cessation is true happiness. Anichavata Sankara Upada Vayadamino Upachitavani Ruchanti Tesang Upasamasukha Let's sit quietly for a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.